You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Well, our scripture today uh, comes from the Gospel of John. It's John 15, verses 4 through 8. Now, the Gospel of John is different from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke we call the synoptic Gospels. They all have the same sources, similar sources. Um, And so they have the parables, they have um, different events and miracles, but the Gospel of John, while it has some similarities with the others, that Jesus' baptism and resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000, there's no birth story, there's no parables, it has the I am statements. So for example, you've heard, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. There are seven in total uh, I am statements, the last being found in today's scripture. I am the vine and you are the branches. This I am statement explicitly links the community's self-image with Jesus's identity. Now, this uh, portion of scripture uses agricultural imagery And verse 2 of uh, John 15 introduces God as the gardener. Uh, And it gives, this this portion gives an accurate presentation of what happens in pruning and clearing a garden. The focus, of course, being grapevines. Now, Reverend Reverend Robert LaRoe explains a little bit about grapes and the importance of grapes to Israel. Grapes um, are the most widely grown fruit in the world, and they've been cultivated as far back as ancient Egypt 2,500 years ago, or years before the birth of Christ. The grapevine is a symbol of Israel, part of its national emblem as depicted on coins. Grapes represent the nation's fruitfulness. They've always been central to Israel's agriculture and economy. An important product of ancient Israel was a grape honey that was made by boiling the grapes into molasses like jelly. When Israel is referred to as the land of milk and honey, it is referring to this product rather than the honey made from bees. In the time of Jesus, a golden grapevine hung over the entrance of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, a gift from King Herod. When Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, it was an image that the people would understand and relate to. Judy? The scripture reading again today is John 15, 4 through 11. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, It abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not not abide in me is thrown away like a branch 
and it withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you know that on YouTube, you can learn to unclog a kitchen sink, get rid of a red wine stain, build a campfire, do a cartwheel, change a tire, tie a tie, cut an onion, be a better dancer in just three steps, survive a shark attack, and you can even view a live laparoscopic surgery removing a gallbladder with narration and everything after watching which you should be able to do, right? <laughs> I wouldn't know I really couldn't watch. The first, they, uh, I couldn't watch. Instead, I watched how to whistle with your fingers. So I watched, they give you a whole video, and, and listen. I know I was surprised too. I thought I'd instantly be able to do it. After all, I knew how. I have seen people do it. Okay, I watched the video and I forgot about it. I didn't practice. I didn't keep trying. Maybe YouTube doesn't have everything I need to know. In the book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell suggests that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert at something, and I've come to believe that true. You see, we have an expert among us. Many days a week, I'll be working in my office, and I will hear the organ playing. Sarah Hazen is an expert organist. And here's the thing, she still practices. Who would have thought, right? You'd think, I could say, here, let's sing this song, and she'd maybe play it once, and we'd go. No, she practices a lot. Now, she continues to hone her skills, and we continue to reap the benefits of her hard work. Because practice, and practice, and practice helps us to be better, to be good. Dr. Mary Brabick and Dr. Jill Jeffrey of the American Psychological Association have reported that researchers who have investigated expert and novice performance have uncovered important distinctions between deliberate practice and other activities such as play or repetition. Deliberate practice is not the same as rote repetition, 
rote repetition, simply repeating a task, will not by itself improve performance. Deliberate practice involves attention, rehearsal, and repetition, and it leads to new knowledge and skills. Although other factors such as intelligence and motivation affect performance, practice is necessary, if not sufficient, for acquiring expertise and keeping it. Well, of course, we know this to be true in sports, in musical instruments, in writing and preaching and changing attire and changing a diaper and cooking and typing and video games and art. Most jobs you can think of all take practice. So does being a Christian. Growing in faith is today's core value that we are discussing. If we want to grow in faith, it takes intentional practice. This truth goes back to our very beginnings as Methodists. John Wesley, our founder, sought to revitalize the Anglican Church, and he did so by engaging people in practicing their faith. See, the church had lost its way, and he didn't like what had become of everyone. The church had become more a place to be seen, a place for business transactions, where faith was a tool for social life. Wesley knew that following Christ took more than that, and he taught that grace is unearned. And he talked about three types of grace, and this is the, this is the stuff that makes me excited. This is where my methodork really comes out. As he talked about provenient grace, the grace that comes before, the grace that God loves us even before we know ourselves, the grace we experience in baptism. And he talked about justifying grace, the grace that brings us to relationship with Christ, to that, that point when we think, you know, I am dependent on Jesus. And then sanctifying grace, the, key, the grace that keeps us lo- in love with Jesus, that grace that we feel as we are doing those things to serve Jesus. You know, when we make a commitment, it's not the end, it's the beginning. When you get married... You have a ceremony, you commit yourself to the other, you promise to love one another. And that's not the end of marriage, it's just the beginning. You spend your life showing love to the other, practicing that love, caring for each other, serving each other, being with each other, talking and listening and helping. The same is true with our faith. And as we do those things, we experience that sanctifying grace because faith takes practice and intentional action John Wesley said that we shouldn't be idle waiting to experience grace. We are to engage in the means of grace. Now, the means of grace are ways that God works invisibly in us. Hastening, strengthening, and confirming faith so that God's grace pervades in and through us. And we do this through Uh, as as Wesley said, works of mercy and works of piety. Now, works of mercy we talked about last week with transformational mission, personally helping others, engaging in mission and justice work. And then works of piety are those practices that we do. Reading, meditating, and studying scriptures. It always amazes me how we can look at a same scripture. You can look at it, and I can look at it, and 
we can look at it at the same time and get a totally different message. You and me. And that's the Holy Spirit at work. And then I might come back to the scripture later and get a whole other message from it. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Scripture is our guide to everything in our Christian journey, and reading it and meditating on it and engaging with it helps us to grow in faith. Another works of piety is, of course, prayer. Prayer is relationship. It's the means through which we communicate with God. It's easy. It doesn't have to be flowery. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, all your best Grammar and language, it's just a conversation. It's powerful when shared with more than one person. Have you ever known that someone was praying for you and then prayed for someone in return? Another uh, practice of work of piety is fasting. Now, fasting, I know, we're, that's not something we're always comfortable with, and it's usually just for a medical procedure. But when you choose a time in which you fast, it can be from food, but it also could be from social media or television or from spending money. Fasting enables you to focus your attention on God and opens you up to hearing God's message. We uh, need to regularly attend worship, be a part of worship, And that's one of our means of grace. Worship is our opportunity to praise God, to thank God, to offer ourselves our gifts to God, and to be part of a Christian community, to engage in the sacraments together. It draws us closer to God and one another. And being a part of a small group, there's an article in Christianity Today that says small groups enable churches to fulfill the one another commandments of Scripture. We are told to love one another, to instruct one another, to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens. Small groups provide the church with unique opportunities to build relationships where we can hold one another accountable, when we can pray for each other, challenge each other, and support one another. Growing in faith, the means of grace, there are so many, and one of them is that I love is that Uh, process of discussing with one another in Bible study. Now, we often make points, I often make points in Bible study by asking questions. And it used to crack me up years ago when I uh, had a Bible study and I would ask a question and uh, there was one person in the class who clearly thought I didn't know the answer to the question. It was something about like John the Baptist that I knew. But she was like, well, that's because he was the cousin of Jesus. And I, well, I know, but I'm asking this so that we can have conversation because when we ask convers- when we are willing to ask questions, we learn more, and it makes it a safe place to ask questions. Uh, and so I encourage you to be a part of Bible study where you can ask questions and learn from one another and gain insights through each other's experience and all the way, of course, grow together in relationship. So when we do all of these things, We experience sanctifying grace and grow closer to God and God's people. When we do all of these things, we are abiding in Christ. 
just like the scripture calls us to do. When we abide in Christ, God's grace pervades through us, and we bear fruit. When we bear fruit, we use our gifts, we help others, we inspire others, and we make a difference in the world. Abiding in Christ means that he is at the center of our heart, and he guides our actions. Scripture says we can ask for what we want and be given it. Abiding in Christ moves us to have confidence in our prayers and makes us open to the ways that God responds. I had a conversation this week with Jeremy Dean, um, you know, as our coordinator of high school youth and, and men's ministries. And he was telling me about uh, the Friday morning men's Bible study and how it first began. He said it was back in the early 2000s. John Hamm, John Mers, Mac Wisner, Jeremy Dean, and a few other men started a men's Friday morning Bible study. Jeremy was a part of it. He was the youngest of all of them, especially in the early 2000s. And he went for a while and was a part of it. And then Carly, his daughter, joined their family. And life took over and something had to give. There was just too much going on. And so he walked away for the Bible study for a little while. Several years later, he was in Target. And Bob Hoff came up to him and said, you know, Jeremy, you should come back to Bible study. We need you. We need someone like you, the younger perspective, and, and, and we've got something to offer you as well. And Jeremy just kind of said, yeah, okay, Bob, thanks, and blew him off a little bit. And then the idea kept coming back to him, he said. It kept, the Holy Spirit just kept working on him. He couldn't let go of that idea, and so he decided to go back to Bible study. He said that he had forgotten how impactful that holy community was and how important the mentorship of the other men was to him and how their uh, time together deepened his faith as they would read scripture and he would learn what the others thought. It brought insight to him in a very rich way. Now, you may, may have noticed that Jeremy has been a worship leader this fall. He's not here today because he's with the confirmation class down in the fellowship hall. Jeremy has felt a call to become a licensed local pastor. Now, this is uh, something in the Methodist church that's different from ordination, but it's, it's a process that people can um, receive license, licensing and credentialing to be a pastor in a local church. Um, and so he has felt a call to become a local, licensed local pastor. And the first group that he told that to was the men's Bible study and the impact that they've had on him. Sunday, November 13th in the evening is our annual church conference. And at that, we will have the opportunity to vote our support for Jeremy as a candidate of ministry. When we choose to deliberately grow in faith and engage in practices that um, push us in our prayer life and through study and fasting and community, we are changed. Now, we're not all going to become pastors. That's okay. That's not all of our calling. But we will find purpose and meaning and supportive relationships and find that we are bearing fruit. As Christ abides in us, and we in him. And so I want to challenge you to engage in a discipline that helps you to grow in faith. A small group, 
a Bible study. If there's not something that we're already offering that you want, then come talk to us and we'll start something new. I encourage you to engage in personal study and prayer and communal worship, whatever it might be, that you might grow in faith because I wonder, how is God calling you to grow in faith? What are you doing to abide in Christ and he in you? Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.